Welcome back to Lime Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's gorgeous conversation was with someone that you may have seen lying asleep on the side of the road in Moab. There was like a viral image of him. McKelly Graglia is his name. Uh, he's an ultra running athlete, ex-model, handsome stud of a guy, and just absolute badass when it comes to performance in the realm of endurance training. He, in this specific photo that I'm looking at right now, he's passed out, just, he's at the end of running the Moab 240, and he finished it in 61 hours and 43 minutes and 15 seconds. Moab 240, Moab, really hot, nasty, terrible place, and just beautiful, exceptional, amazing place as well, but hot, nasty, and 240 miles, I presume is what that indicates, and he beat the legendary David Goggins. And so this was big news, and I was excited when they reached out to have a conversation. He has a book called Ultra. He is a very metaphysical, introspective, intelligent, bright human being. And I think this conversation really illuminates all of that. And I think you guys are gonna dig it. Other very exciting news. We are launching the revised expanded version of the online method, and it is available on Amazon now for pre-sale. It will get to your place just after the New Year's. And I am so flipping excited about it. We added a new chapter in the end, which is a movement series that gets into all the nooks and crannies of your joints and your connective tissues, and also added some other revisions and edits throughout it. It is a different size, it is a different cover, it looks and feels like a brand new book, and I am so excited to get to share that with you guys. So if you're interested in starting the new year with a newfound relationship with your own body, then I think the Align Method would be a great place to start. So you jump over to Amazon and just type in Align Method and you will find it's the paperback version and that'll be shipped off to your domicile early January. All right, that's it. That's all. Thank you for engaging this conversation. I hope you absolutely devour it. And here we go. What induced the move to Big Bear for you? Well, it's, you know, it's been a bit of a transition, of course, with COVID coming and things kind of falling apart in a sense. But to me, it was almost like a moment of clarity to step back and and uh, make a decision to fully pursue what I'm doing, you know, because in the past few years, running has been kind of, you know, I was juggling running and training among other things. I've been a yoga instructor, hiking guide uh, at this retreat in Malibu called the Ashram for several years. And so... You know, coming to this intersection last year, it was the moment where I realized that it was an opportunity for me to to fully dive in and and give hundred percent focus to to the craft. You know. Yeah. So you back in your maybe late teens, early twenties time frame, early twenties, you were like a, a, like one hundred ninety five pounds, a couple hundred pounds. Yeah, I was definitely heavier. I was almost two hundred pounds, kind of big, beefy gym guy. And, uh, and, you know, when then in 2007, I came to the, to the U S eventually I reshaped myself a little bit because I got scouted by, uh, by a modeling agent, the moment I landed in South beach and pretty much started trimming down a bit there to fit in clothes and, uh, you know, a little more fit, a little more sharp, let's say. Yeah. And then of course, you know, a few years later, that transformation continued to kind of, you brought me to, a slimmer and slimmer version of myself and uh you know right now i'm pretty much racing at about 150 155 pounds so that's a big transformation there what was the reasoning for becoming three quarters the size of your previous self was that just a natural progression or like how did that happen well it kind of happened because of the the direction in life that i took you know the lifestyle kind of you know before it was very much driven by just aesthetics you know, just being a gym guy, it was putting in pounds, but still lean, you know, it was just like buff. <laughs> then of course, you know, going into modeling, I had to fit certain sizes of clothing and that brought to that second transition. And then eventually pursuing running, long distance running, the least amount of weight you have on your shoulders, the faster you can go. And so it, it all kind of happened very naturally. It wasn't forced. Of course, it was challenging many times because 
you kind of have to reassess your your body needs and and all of that but i also find it found it to be a very let's say exciting process because you know it's 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 very much about self-exploration in many ways and finding out that you can adapt your body to pretty much whatever whatever you desire so there's really no one thing set you can transform yourself when you were modeling were you getting into like drugs and partying and was there any like addiction because i know that's a very common thing with ultra athletes in general is oftentimes there's like the analogy of like running away from something you just keep on running you know, like far as jump just never stopped absolutely you know i would say that was the rising fun part of it at the beginning and then the downfall negative side of it at the end and i say it as, as a beginning of an end because it was very much like a like a small journey in itself kind of getting introduced to this new industry this new lifestyle this new environment you know down in south beach then you know traveling around milan new york all of these big cities and because of the of your status of whatever you represented at whatever I represented at the time, you know, everything was kind of handed out. People wanted you here, people wanted you there. You know, when you're 24, 25, 26, and you're living that lifestyle, you kind of feel like the king of the world yep. until, you know, until the bill is presented and then you realize the, the downside of it. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of almost started crumbling down until I realized that, you know, I couldn't endure that type of life. I couldn't endure that lifestyle. And it brought me to a major breaking point where, I needed, I confronted myself and I realized that I needed to make a change in what I was doing, the direction that I took. And that kind of brought to that process of, in a way, self-discovery and introspection to find out what truly called me. And so, you know, that eventually I discovered long distance running. Are you familiar with Sanjay Rawal? I had him on the podcast a while back. He's, he's, uh, he did a documentary called 3100 run and become which i'm sure you'd be really enamored by oh yes 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 yeah he's super yes. sweet I, I really appreciate him a lot but he is very much in the spiritual connection yeah you know trans transcendence through putting in miles you know and and yeah that relationship of running just being you know essentially like a, another medium or path towards some deeper self-actualization and it's kind of like a you know Absolutely. a long race is kind of like a metaphor for one's entire life kind of for kind sure of, you can squeeze in a whole life like a, at least a year worth of emotions in one day of racing mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, i do agree in the fact that um ultra running allows you to really connect with within yourself you know it's it's just a means in a way but it's just like you know just like yoga or other activities that push the body to its let's say breaking point or at least the moment of discomfort boundaries maybe yep the boundaries the the comfort the boundaries of comfort because only when you go over that boundary you begin to transcend the physical body and you begin to connect at the deeper level first through the mind and then eventually breaking down the mind you ascend to to something higher to that you know to that deeper consciousness and that's why i think these type of races are so they're so unique and special experiences because it's not just a physical challenge it becomes something greater and doesn't matter how hard it gets we just keep going back for more at this point i'm sure you've approached many self-perceived limitations or boundaries and been in that kind of negotiation phase of quit or keep going is that yeah. something that you're pretty savvy with that conversation to this point or like being in that place you know you kind of know through time and experiences that you live you understand kind of the fluctuations and how the game works but it's never owned let's say that way you know it's a constant process of re-establishing that belief and discovering what you're capable of you know in those moments you've been through it you've done it you know how to come out but every single time it becomes an experience on its own so it's never given that's what i mean it's almost like when people now nowadays that they, they talk about saying they're woke it's you know just because you say that it shows the opposite uh, <laughs> for the fact that the understanding of, of awakening is is that you are awakening to a higher understanding and tapping into the higher understanding allows you to understand that it's a never owned process even the highest guru even the most experienced mind and soul 
will always have more to find out and discover. And so it's just about that. You know, you just put yourself out there and see what happens. So I learned about you when you had beat, maybe beat's not the best word, but you ran a faster time than the infamous or maybe just famous David Goggins. <laughs> right, last year, yeah. What did you think of all those headlines? Because it was very defaming of Goggins. It was very like, you were like the David Goggins slayer kind of thing. And I was saying, <laughs> and I was like, from like a PR perspective, I'm like, oh, this is right. Oh, like, it was awesome, yeah. yeah. This, is, this is good for good for him. I got tens of thousands of followers overnight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> were you like, yeah, F yeah, I'm the Goggins slayer? Or what, like, how, how yeah, was that right. for you? <laughs> It was it was entertaining at the beginning until it became annoying for the fact that he kind of hit the higher exposure for the fact that he has a big following. Yeah. And I've received a lot of negative messages from his followers. And that wasn't that fun. Also, because I was very, very, you know, we had a little, let's say, misunderstanding during the race. You know, we have very, we're two completely different people. We have very different mindsets, very different approaches to what we do. And, mm. you know, I was looking forward to a shared experience to kind of help and push each other out throughout the whole thing. But he wasn't seeing the same thing eye to eye. And so whatever happened, happened. But it was almost like a contrast of seeing people in the community kind of supporting me and people outside the community supporting him. And for the fact that in, in many ways, He's, uh, he's very popular on a broader level, but is not very... Respected is not the word, but it's not, it doesn't have the same, let's say, value inside the community. Mm. It's not looked after as one of, you know... Why, why, would that, why would that be? Because of his approach, I would say. I think ultra running, of course, is, uh, you know, you're running by yourself. It's very much a personal one person type of uh, experience but there's some sort of uh, shared understanding shared journey there's a lot of camaraderie there's a lot of support among the people and he he was there talking about taking souls while passing people and i think that's kind of the opposite of what ultra running is about <laughs> you know you're not taking anyone's soul you're sharing the journey because we're all going through the same highs and lows uh... through the same difficulties and once you reach the finish line, whether you're first or last, we're all winners. And that's the beauty of it. It's not you taking souls or beating other people. Because, mm. you know, I think it doesn't express fully what the sport is about. It's kind of like a zero-sum approach to ultra racing. Like, by me consuming your morale, it boosts my morale. And then that also is something that happens. You know, like, like I've, I mean, I, I've had that experience with you know, anytime there's a contender of some sort, which then that comes yeah. in to, to, you know, what is a contender actually? And perhaps we're all just all this on the same team and this thing together. But it is an interesting thing that does happen where it seems like, you know, you see this maybe like UFC. Yeah. Uh, someone, if you get punched in the face really hard and someone really rings you or boxing or whatever, you, the last thing you want to do is let them know that you've been wrong. Right, right, right. <laughs> because there is this almost energetic like conversion yeah, of over. energy yeah. yeah there's like a transactional yeah. experience there yeah. where it's like okay like i got you i was kind of feeling a little yeah. off and now suddenly now. you're off <laughs> and it's almost like it's almost like yeah. the amount that you're now off i've now gained which is interesting yeah you know? totally i you know i think in ultra running there of course you know if you're if you're racing to compete of course you want to be the other person yeah. But to me, it almost became, I don't know, the way it just came off, it was confusing. Yeah. And so that's why it, we, we, we received a lot of emails and messages and comments and people like just pouring out, you know, can I say crap? Vit vitriol <laughs> would be a fancy way of saying yeah, shit. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they poured out a lot of that without even knowing what it is about. And so, yeah, it was what it was. I'm happy that in a way I came out on top because, of course, you know, we're still racing. But if we ended up sharing more, I think we would have been able to propel each other to even better performance. Yeah. So how would you define the difference in, in your approach to Goggins' approach? Not that one is wrong or right, but they're, they're clearly no, of course. different. How, what would the differences yeah. be? Well, I think that the one main difference is the fact that he exasperates the the power of the mind. And I respect that because ultimately it comes down to controlling the negative thoughts that the mind constantly 
throws on you. Mm. When you're doing this type of races, as I was saying earlier, it becomes almost like a spiritual journey because you're crumbling, you're crushing your physical, eventually your mental to achieve that sense of presence and consciousness that allows you to tap into a higher energy, almost an infinite type of energy. You're no longer restricted by the mind or confined by the mind. You are, you open up to a to the heart, to the spirit, to the soul, which is eventually the true force behind who we are and what we do. And I think that, you know, it's almost the same idea of being guided by the ego or by something greater than yourself. And so here, it's not about, again, the difference that I can say is not necessarily about showing off and telling you that I can do these things because I'm the toughest, because I, you know, I take no days off and I'm flexing and I'm acting all tough. You know, if you are conscious of your strength, you don't need to over exasperate it on other people yep. and put it on show, you're showcasing it. It's almost like a true master doesn't need to show off his skills. Just like a true teacher does, you know, it's a very fine line right there. But the one key component is the fact that I believe that once you are defined and driven by the mind, you are on a path of resistance because yes, you can have a strong mind to achieve whatever you want to do, but you're always going to be restrained by that constant battle of going, of battling through the mind, through the perceived limitation, through the whatever it is in that moment. If you understand that the mind is just a tool and not the driving force, then you can use it to achieve whatever you want. You know, there's a very famous saying, the mind is a great servant, but a terrible master. And so that really speaks about these type of experiences. Because again, if you use the mind to do something extraordinary, you're always going to be fighting the mind. Because it's always going to choose and pick the easy way out. It's an evolutionary pattern. So it's not, it's something that we can, you know, extend a little bit or that point of, um, let's say the, the stamina of it, the point of the breaking point of the mind, you can enhance it, you can expand it, but you're still going to be confined by it. That's why all the spiritual teachings, they talk about transcending the mind and reaching, tapping into the higher self, tapping into the higher power. And I believe that once you allow yourself to go through it, transcend the physical, transcend the body, transcend the mind, then eventually you are, I don't know, it's almost like a magical moment where everything, you kind of shut everything off. You know, you're not thinking about the position. You're not thinking about the time. You're not thinking about the what's going to happen if I win, what's going to happen if I lose, what's going to, you know, those are all mind restraints. Those are all things that keep us bounded. If you're wrapped up in all of these conceptions, you don't allow yourself to be fully present, fully involved, fully focused, giving your all in the present moment, because ultimately that's all we can control. You know, the, the thought of the past and the worries of the future, they're just throwing us off balance. It's very much the same concept of meditation. It's about bringing the focus to the present moment, being aligned, finding that balance, the center that allows you to perform, to be who you are, do what you need to do at your very best yeah. and not bounded by the perceived limitation or perceived pain that you're experiencing in that moment because that's all of our, out, of, of, out of our control. You know, I cannot think about, I cannot plan ahead of what's going to happen 100 kilometers from now. All I can do is give my very best right now and deal with whatever comes at me right now. Because if I do give my very best at every single step, eventually the sum of all of these will allow me to reach the finish line. And then within that, I think oftentimes around like more metaphysical, spiritual type conversations, I think that the, the journey towards just the journey because maybe there's no arrival oftentimes can become kind of poeticized and romanticized and you know after the fact you put a tuxedo on it you know and you have the conversation you're like oh wow man that just felt spiritual yeah like wow (laughs) and then the reality is i think it's just dramatically dirtier than that yeah oh for sure you know for sure it is it is you know it gets ugly before it gets better (laughs) (laughs) and you have to that's why it's always uh you know I think the societal trend is taking us away from achieving or at least working on our heart, on ourselves and 
tapping into our higher consciousness, it's because everything is comfortable. Mm. Everything is given. Everything is here at a clip of your fingers. You can get and do whatever you want. There's no struggle and growth, both physical, mental and spiritual only happens to struggle. We know that change evolution only happens in moment of distress in moment where there is the need to tap into something bigger because what's going on right now that just doesn't work it's just like a muscle you know if you're lifting one pound you're gonna be sticking to that one pound and you're comfortable doing one pound if you're pushing 10 20 100 you're gonna feel it and but that process though you know painful uncomfortable difficult challenging whatever it's gonna be that's the part that is going to allow you to transform and reach a higher, better self. Let's say that I keep on saying a higher understanding of, of who you are, because again, in comfort, there's never going to be growth. And if you put yourself out there, break through those barriers, you are in the process of understanding how strong you actually are. The possibilities that are ahead of you are infinite, but you need to take that step out of the comfort zone and see how strong you are, how smart you are, how talented you are, or whatever it is that your, your, your heart calls and your heart is called towards. And so it's very much like a counter trend about where the society is going. Yeah. Everything is very materialistic. Everything is about egocentric, you know, very egocentric and ego driven. And I think these type of experiences that can be running very long distances or climbing or, or biking or kayaking or something that puts you outside your comfort zone, that allows you to connect with nature. Those are all things that truly open up your understanding and the concept of connection not just within, but without too. I'm coming back to this race particularly just because, you know, everything's a microcosm for everything else. So it was like, fun. I was like, you know, <laughs> I don't want to just keep going to that as, you know, a, a broad, to connect to a broader conversation. But during that, did you start off ahead? Did he start off ahead? Did you guys go back and forth? Was there a clear, and then within that like tandem question is, did you have moments of your own ego coming in being like, got you, bitch, you know, or was it fully spiritual transcendent love is all crystals Whoa. kundalini? He came, so I started off, you know, very much focused on the race itself and not thinking about other people. You know, the Moab 240 is 240 miles. So we're talking about almost 400 kilometers. That's, that's about almost 10 marathons in a row. Over how much time is it? Well, you have up to uh, six days, but I did it in two and a half, Jeez. 60 hours. And what's the, what's like the average? Like what's like normal, normal human doing it? 60 to 100 and 110, 120, 60 to 120, let's say. Wow. So the first one is usually come in about 60 hours. And then, you know, over the rest of a couple of days, all the rest of the, the group comes in. How many, how many hours were you again? Sorry. 60, okay. 60 hours flat. So it's two days flat. and a half exactly. Okay. And so what happens is, you know, you cannot think about competition in a race like that, at least not at the beginning. You know, it, it's not worthwhile and it's, it just disrupts you from what I was talking about earlier. You know, it's, we are, let's say, 20 miles into this race and knowing that we have another 220, you know, it's mind boggling. So you cannot really think about I'm in first position, third position, fifth position. It doesn't matter, any, matter anything at that moment. So to me, it started out as just being focus on what I needed to do. And I started off in the front and after about 30, 40 miles, actually almost 50, 50 miles, you know, we were in the middle of those big desert valleys that you could see tens of miles back and forth. And so, you know, it started getting dark and I was by myself at that moment. And, you know, I, I, I was looking back a couple of times to see what the gaps could have been. And eventually I saw that one dim light in the distance. And so I was like, you know, maybe there's only 10, 15 minutes difference. Might as well slow down because it's, you know, 50 miles in, think about it, we still have 190 miles. Crazy. That's crazy, right? And so I was like, you know, might as well right now slow down a little bit, team up, we're going into the night. Instead of going by myself, better to go with somebody. I didn't know who that was, but eventually, you know, moments later, Goggins showed out of the dark 
And, you know, we started chatting it out for a minute. He wasn't very talkative. And I was like, all right, you know, I respect that. And so we just kind of kept going neck to neck, literally. It was fun because, you know, miles when you're in company pass by much faster. Right. Because, you know, you're keeping the pace, you're helping each other out. You know, there's, you know, it's easier to keep track because you don't need to be as focused because, you know, if you miss one ribbon, there's the other person that might have gotten it, you know, stuff like that. And so, you know, we got to this point about mile 70, 75, where I was very comfortable. I was very, very comfortable in sticking with him. And so we started going through this technical section where he started going on little walk and run patterns. So walk certain steep sections, run the rest, walk a little, you know, hike and walk, hike, uh, hike and run. And I guess he got pissed for the fact that I was, you know, sticking with him. Like he was running, I was running, he was walking, I was walking. And I was like, <laughs> you know, he would start running, I would start running, he would start walking, I would start walking. And I was like, we're just going together. You know, I'm not, I'm not expecting to put on a surge and drop you off here. We still have 180 miles to go, you know, again, 160 <laughs> miles to go, whatever it was. And so I was very comfortable enjoying the time together until he snapped, you know, he just got, I guess, you know, a lot of people saw it as a mischievous tactic of breaking him down of saying, you know, I got you, but I'm like, it's not like we were playing the last 10, 20 miles of the race that I can play mind games. You know what I mean? Yeah. We are so far back, we still have so much to do that it really was nothing like that. To, to me, that moment was simply the opportunity to spend the night together through the darkness of the night instead of being by myself, having somebody in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And, you know, the possibility to keep up the pace, the possibility to help each other out through the highs and lows that come at different times. So, you know, when one is feeling like crap, the other one can come out and kind of help you through and vice versa. So it's always good in this type of misery loves company. We know that. And so, you know, in the, those type of moments, it's good to have somebody. That's why in these type of races, after a certain mileage, you're also allowed to have pacers so that you have somebody to kind of help you, guide you throughout this whole thing. Anyway, he snapped, he didn't like it, and he pretty much, you know, told me to, you know. Fuck off. <laughs> I was trying to find a gentle way to do it. <laughs> but yes, basically. <laughs> and so, you know, at that point I was like, you know what? I, I'm sorry we just didn't, you know, we can we didn't click and and that was pretty much the end of it. So How did I, he tell you, you to know, fuck off? Did you say fuck off? Well, he didn't really tell me to fuck off, but he got upset because we were doing this run, stop, walk, run, walk, and I was almost like on the step. I was like, the moment he would start running, I would start running. The moment he would start walking, I would start walking. So I was very much in control. So I think that he couldn't get to me. And I think because I didn't get, he didn't get to me, I got to him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Wow. So he thought I was playing mind games with him. But to me, there was nothing like that, especially not at the moment. Again, if we were 220 miles into the race, and we were at that point, I would have gotten it. Mm. I would have gotten in the sense that I understand what you're talking about. Yeah. I'm playing mind games. It could be it. It could be that because, yeah, we are very close to the finish line. Maybe getting a five, 10 minutes advantage means well, I'm going to win. Even if you are, who cares? Isn't it a race? That's right. But still, the point. But even more, talking about 70, 80 miles into a 240 miles race, we're not even one third of the way. So it's not like the, this game is going to play to my or your advantage. So anyway, it just, you know, he stopped in his tracks and he kind of flexed towards me and he's like, start running your fucking race. And I'm like, are you serious, dude? I'm like, I was so thrown off, man. I got to tell you, like, really thrown off because I'm like, dude, you really have no understanding of, you know, camaraderie and, and supporting each other. Yeah. You know, you're just out here wanting to prove something to whoever you need to prove something to. Yeah. And I'm not out for that. You know, I really, I'm really not a confrontational person. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean I'm not competitive. I'm just not confrontational in the sense that, you know, we don't see eye to eye, different minds. Okay, you go your way, I go my way. I don't need to make you change your mind, you know. Yeah. 
And so I was like, all right, you know, I'm sorry you see it that way. I was just enjoying the miles together, but you know what? Screw this. And so I just, you know, I picked up my pace and that's it. I never see him again. Do you think you got energy from that exchange? Do you think that there, because there, I want to add a thing. There's, there, are you familiar with Tim Noakes, Timothy Noakes, South Africa? Of course. So I've had yeah. him on here. I don't know, oh, wonderful. While, I got to check ago. it out then. Yeah, it was a while ago. And his, I think that you're already familiar with is this, the central governor theory. And yep. which is essentially you guys are like test subjects for this. If you're yep. like, oh, wow, like the mind really does impact the way that we produce our physiology and our neurochemistry. Totally. And so I wonder, do you think that there was any type of physiological reaction to that in that moment that you actually gained energy? Or do you think, did you not think about it that much? Um, at the beginning, I got to tell you the truth. He actually sent me back a little bit because uh, he got, it, it was a negative interaction. Yeah. I pretty much try to focus and draw energy from positivity yeah. or create a positive mindset. So that kind of threw me off and, and I was like, why, why wouldn't you want to run together? And I felt like, you know, <laughs> like in a very naive way, you know, I'm like, why wouldn't you want to run together? It doesn't make sense to me. So I pretty much, you know, I went in that, that race last minute in a sense that I had other events and other big event lined up pretty much a month before. That event got canceled because of fire. So I got into Moab last minute. And I'm just saying this for the fact that I didn't have a support crew lined up. So basically I ran 202 miles completely alone. But that thought, and I'm circling back to the 202 miles because that was a one certain checkpoint at the crack of dawn of the second day where I, that's when I got the boost. That's when I got the boost because I was like, okay, I'm 38 miles away. Now it kind of became a game of saying, now when I see how much I can give him, you know, because like, I don't want to just beat him now when I beat him by a lot. And so that's when I started really, that's when he started clicking. And, you know, at that moment, when I got to 210, 220 miles, I had over five and a half hours gain on him. Which is pretty outstanding at that moment. And, but, you know, and then just to circle back and finish the story, because I was driven by the wrong things, I guess, I wasn't any longer, for that moment, I wasn't any longer connected within. I was focused on the outside. That's when things started falling apart for me. I got hurt. Wow. And those last 20 miles, I basically hobbled over the, you know, the, canyons and the mesas and uh, whatever was it was ahead of us and it took me forever to finish those 20 miles and he finished with less than two hours two hours gap behind me wow so he was actually gaining on me wow. massively towards the end i was literally limping for the last 20 miles it took me o- almost 10 hours i was about i was on pace to break the the course record but i actually finished three hours behind that's such a, an, an incredible story and there's so yeah. much metaphor in that obviously one of, one of the oh there's huge there's that was a huge learning lesson for me huge 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 one. the thing that comes to mind as you're saying that is that i think you know there's been various iterations of this but considering your enemies essentially to be your your allies because they oftentimes are what they're what permits the game you know yeah. if you don't have that polarization bad good yeah. evil you know the, right. the light yeah. the light the dark <laughs> You know, like yep. that, that's what allow polarity is what allows this thing to go. That's relationship. And we have relationship yep. continually throughout, you know, our, our business, throughout our marital relationships, our family, ourselves. And yep. one of the, the metaphors from it's probably like Watt, Alan Watts or something, but he's talking about, you know, in this theater of life, which persona, the term persona actually goes back to being those that the masks that they would wear in Greco or Roman or maybe Greco Roman. Yeah, yeah, the, the Greek, yeah, yeah. The Greek, yeah. And they were like these con like cone masks, these conical masks that would project the sound of your voice, and that was your your persona. Right. And and then at the end of the theater, you go backstage and you know, the villain takes his mask off and, you know, like the, the protagonist takes their mask off and all the people and you're all buds and you smoke a cigarette and you go, you know, right. whatever, you know, whatever, you get a beer and you're like, cool, we're buds. We talk about the, the show. Yeah. But on the stage, it's a different game. And so, and so it's such an interesting thing to be able to watch that play out and then be able to reflect on, you know, the theater of that race, you yeah. know, and all yeah. the different underpinnings that are happening throughout it. Totally. Totally. It's very, it's very cool. 
Yeah, it was it was quite curious and interesting to see how it all developed, and you know, then him reaching out to me after the race and not being happy with what I said and all these things and a bunch of all of these supporters kind of coming at me telling me that I'm this and this and that. What is the, not to, maybe I apologize in advance for saying, but what did, what did you, what did you say? What was the thing that was, that pissed his tribe off? Well, I basically, you know, when I finished the race, I did a couple, like a few interviews and, you know, a couple of them got, you know, they reached a pretty good number of people. And so, you know, just a bunch of the people that supported him just didn't like what I said. Cause I, I expressed pretty much that situation, the one that I just you know, yeah. explained to you in a way, yeah. not because I wanted to prove that I beat him or whatever. It was just because I came to talk about it because it was a pivotal time in my race. Yeah. And so just like I said, you know, the first 30 miles were great. Then 50 miles in, I had a big crisis and then ran with him and all these things. And then, you know, that happened. And it's not like I wasn't expressing my side. I was simply stating the facts. I didn't say he's this or that. I just said, we were running together. Didn't like what I was doing. Told me to fuck off. (laughs) And I left. That's pretty much it. So I wasn't, you know, there was no judgment. There was no harshness. You know, there was, sure. was nothing harsh towards it. It was just a statement. And a lot of people started telling me that I'm evil because I play mind games, because I am this and that. I don't understand Goggins because he's a motivator and he was trying to push me to do my best. And I'm like, I don't need him. I'm way more accomplished than he is. And, and I, don't need, I don't have anything to prove. And I don't need him to push me while I'm doing, trying to do something completely different. I'm not coming to your house telling you how you should live or teaching you how you should do things. If I'm doing it my own way, you mind about, about your own things. You know what I mean? I'm going to share one of the hacks that I utilize to enhance my hydration. This would be quite relevant if you are a runner or any form of endurance athlete, or you just use your body in general. You sweat every now and again. LMNT, Element Hydration Packs. They are the perfect combination of sodium, magnesium, and potassium to allow your nervous system to function optimally, to help with repair, and also just to generally quench your thirst. You need electrolytes in order for your cells to be able to absorb absorb the fluid that you are taking in. If you're taking in, I say, distilled water that has been stripped of any form of minerals, then it's not as bioavailable for your body. You'll just pee it out. So this stuff, Element, is something that I've been utilizing for the last, I don't know, a long year or so, and I dig it. Their flavored packets are fantastic. It's all natural flavors, and you can try it absolutely free and see if it improves your life. You can just jump over to drinklmnt.com forward slash alive for a free sample pack. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash align. It's just $5 for shipping and they will send you out a sample pack so you can check it out. And then if you do end up ever actually purchasing some, they have a 30 day money back guarantee. So if it does not improve your life, it does not make you drink more water and enjoy the water that you're drinking, then you got absolutely nothing to lose. So jump over to drinklmnt forward slash align. I also want to take a moment and share something that's been supportive for me to sleep far more effectively, and that is magnesium. Magnesium is pretty darn deficient in modern day soil. And for this reason, magnesium is one of those supplements that I think everyone should have in their cabinet, especially if you want to sleep better, if you want to be more effective with muscular repair, muscular soreness, general downregulation, calming, soothing, all of those things. Magnesium is very important for all of these factors. So what I like about Mag Breakthrough is it contains all seven different forms of magnesium. So it's a full spectrum magnesium supplement. Many of the magnesium supplements that you get just contain one or two or a few. So you're getting all the magnesiums in one shot and it's just great stuff. I think it's fantastic. They have a 100% money back guarantee as well. And you get yourself a sweet discount by going over to magbreakthrough.com forward slash align podcast. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O ouGH.com forward slash align podcast. I can't recommend this stuff enough. It truly is my favorite magnesium supplement. I think you guys are going to devour it. Get yourself a discount. Magbreakthrough.com forward slash align podcast. So in the point where you kind of seem like got a little bit into, you know, your ego and you're like, yeah. right, screw this guy. I'm going to beat him by five hours. Yeah. 
Right. How do you think that attributed to your body starting to break down, both maybe mechanically or maybe even metaphysically, if there is some conversation there? Because I started getting stupid. I think when you're driven by your ego, you become stupid. You don't see the obvious because the direction and the choices that you make are driven by the ego and the ego doesn't care about anything else, but it's but himself. Mm. And I didn't think about what was going on. I started losing track of my machine. You're the driving, you think about it as you're the driver yeah. of this thing, right? You can call it the machine, the body, whatever. You're like the pilot. And if the pilot loses track of the, let's talk about it, you know, as a, as a Formula One racer, if you don't keep track of how your tires burn out and how they're getting, you know, they're falling apart, if you don't remember to fill up the gas, if you don't remember to do the things that you need to do, you're going to fall apart. And that's what I did. I started pushing too hard. I started getting wrapped up in the thought of wanting to go faster and faster because so I can give it more and more. Yeah. Threw me off of what I needed to do in that moment, which was taking care of myself, pacing myself, doing what was supposed to be done instead of going with that. The sheer strength of raw energy works if you're a football player, if you're a 100 meter sprinter. But if you do something that requires consistency, stamina and focus, then you cannot go all out clearly. I would even, cha I would even challenge that though, because the if you're in some more acceleration-based sport, you're sprinting or football, whatever it is, it's still an endurance race, you know, because it's your lifetime that gets you to the point to be able to have that punctu you know, that punctuated poof. Yeah. You know, yeah. So everything is an endurance race. Yeah. You know, That's true. That's true. Yeah. And it's, it's, I agree it's, with it's that. A, it's such an interesting thing of, of starting to kind of get under the hood of our own, you know, why are we doing anything? Why do you, why yeah. do I do this podcast? Why do I do, yeah. you know, anything? Why, you know, why do I work out? Why do I just asking that questions with every aspect of your life, I think is a relevant thing. Cause oftentimes if you pull it back enough, you might have this, you know, this microcosm example of you and Goggins just saying like, Oh yeah. man, I, I kind of, you know, ran myself into the ground to beat the heck out of this guy. Yeah. I bet you and he backfired. <laughs> I bet you a lot of people could say that about maybe their relationship with their dad or their mom or their right, ex right, or right, right. you know or whatever the thing is where they start to, you know, destroy themselves for, yeah. you know, to get the best of something and they might not even it might be a subconscious operating system. It is. It is. And oftentimes it throws us off ourselves, our balance. And that's when stupid things happen. Mm. They're not, you know, I think it's the most relevant thing, the why. Do you have a why? Have you come with, I'm sure, and, and why is probably much more like, you know, aqueous dynamic thing as well. You know, I think the why is just like everything in life is in constant transformation. Yeah. It's a constant process of establishing that why. I can kind of circle back to what we were saying at the very beginning when you asked me about, you know, falling into perhaps into the whole negative downward spiral of drugs and alcohol and all of that coming from that partying lifestyle and scene. Running initially was a way of escaping that. Yeah. So turning, I don't want to say turning an addiction because I wasn't necessarily a drug addict, but I, you know, I definitely indulged in that lifestyle. And, and to me, running became a means to get in touch with myself and rediscover who I am and kind of reset my life in a more positive and empowering way. And then through ultra running, I was able to transform that running away into running towards something. So he became first an escape, then a pursuit. And I think he has a much better uh, sound to it. And it's much more positive when it comes down to approach mindset and perspective. Yeah. Uh, even that, you know, at the beginning, it was, it was very much about checking off bigger and broader challenges. So started out with a certain type of races and then understanding that I could go, that I could do this, that I could do that. And then achieving, you know, winning a certain type of event rather than another. And so every single time, every single season, there was the necessity to reassess the why. Though in the past few years, I would say the last two, three years, that morphed into something even bigger because I am no longer necessarily driven by wanting to win races because I need to establish myself because I need to get the sponsors so I can do this and do that. But it became very much almost like a life motive. It became almost like a, a whole lifestyle, a whole approach to it that is driven by the desire, the curiosity to find out what we're truly capable of. 
You know, we were raised in a society that told us right from the very beginning what we can do and what we cannot do. They put us in a box and they're like, this is your space. This is where you can operate. Don't go over beyond those lines because it's never been done before, because it's dangerous, because this, because of that. But I think we are in the process nowadays of discovering our true potential physical, mental, spiritual. And so breaking down those barriers and being able to dedicate yourself and the life, your life to it, it's the most inspiring thing that I can think of. You know, it's something that motivates me to get out of bed every day before dawn to push my limits a little further. Something that I appreciate about learning more about you as well is you have a pretty dynamic or flexible approach to nutrition throughout the years and so it's, yes. it seems like it seems like you're pretty resistant to dogma is what i've yeah a little bit i've gathered <laughs> which is so cool and then the, and then you know the value of maybe temporary dogma 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 yeah you know being able to go inside of confinement you know and, and strengthen through that confinement and that containment and then yeah. recognizing at what point does perhaps that confinement and containment start to become suffocating Yep. And but not becoming dependent on that containment being whatever the maybe a religion, yep. maybe a relationship, right, maybe right. a nutritional approach, yep. you know, but I think ultimately people are searching, we're hunting for identity and tribe, you know, yeah. and sometimes it can become sticky. A sticky relationship it is it is a sticky situation let's say in many ways at many different levels for the fact it's not that i'm necessarily against dogmas but i'm more against what is commonly accepted just because certain thing a certain topic is commonly accepted doesn't mean it's the truth doesn't mean that it's right doesn't mean that it's the right way of doing things or approaching things. So to me, it's about starting from what we know and experiencing for myself to find out where the truth lies. Because the let's say, you know, we're talking about laws, we're talking about religion, we're talking about ideas, nutritional, religious, spiritual, whatever we want to talk about it. Those are just accepted concepts, but they're most likely, most often far from the actual truth. And so I think that the true, the real exploration nowadays becomes broader. It's really not just about discovering a new land, discovering a physical place, but it's about adventuring in the unknown of all of these concepts that we've taken for granted for centuries and reevaluate them on our own personal experience. Because first of all, we're all one, but we're all different in the sense that, you know, culturally, different places of the world, we've been raised in different ways, different understandings, different cultural dietary restriction, uh, religious approaches and all of these things. And so I think that it's only exploring it for ourselves that we can say this works for me or this doesn't. Yeah. And it's, it's very much a process of self-discovery. It's adventure. Even on a nutritional level, it's a culinary adventure, if you will. And how you do anything is how you do everything, which I think is interesting to see. It's been interesting, like sociological experiment of sorts to watch the political happenings over the last two years, like right. lockdowns and BLM and, you know, people, the way that people approach a lot of people that you thought you kind of knew, they were like your buddy, yeah. you know, and you kind of know them at like, yeah, like, you know them at like, a, oh, you showed your colors. Yeah. You know them at like, <laughs> a, like a good times level, you know, you're like, oh, yeah. cool, like, we're great. You know, we go skating together, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like the same whatever and then that happens and it's such an interesting thing to observe in my myself my political leanings and the way that i respond to you know happenings in the news and whatnot they really do fall back in like my more like my general operating system of the way that i perceive the yeah. world and you yeah. can kind of tell people's reaction to certain things based off of the way that they process information yeah you know it's just, it's just been i don't think i have a point with that i apologize Oh no no no! I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you because it's it's you know it's we're living I would say in a very unique times that are in a way confining a lot of people and the political parties the political gap that they created especially in the last few years is truly showing the colors of what the society is about right now. Yeah. You know, you have certain people that just because they support a certain political parties, they accept these ideas and they fight for their lives for it. And they don't even think about whether it's right or wrong. And I'm not saying red, blue, pink or yellow. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, whichever parties, I'm sure everybody have their rights and their motives and reasons why they support whoever they support. But here it's about, again, not taking these things 
for granted, but understanding, open up kind of your perspective to what it truly is. And the truth is out there, but it's often hidden. It's often confined by the societal trend, the perceived limitation that we put on ourselves and the division that these thoughts create. You know, we live in a society that enhance separation. You know, we talk about unity, we talk about coming together, but Again, look at the, the societal situation the last two, three, four years. There's a bigger, a bigger void that is getting created among people, and that is setting us apart. So it's kind of working towards our greater good. I think that you know, with with forest fires, the prevention of forest fires can lead to something that's like more cataclysmic. You know, so like right. like, like the forest needs to burn. You know, and and, yep. and if you know, same thing, immune cells in your body. If you were to get microscopic and look at like you know T cells going through and yeah. killing some, you know, it would be like you might be like ah, like no, like death. Yeah, right. You're fixing this, yeah. but you're creating more problems. And so over there. I think within a a relationship, you know, and, and this could draw back to like the that any race how it's it yeah. kind of exposes different parts of your personality and such the relationship right. that people have as a whole in the country i think you could see you could look at it the happenings over the last couple of years as being kind of like a little fire but not yeah. perceiving it as like oh this is a bad fire you know perhaps like for the broader relationship this may be temporary againstness that's happening right 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 maybe you're well allowed to yeah you know and, and so i think else. that one of the Behind the scenes, like if you draw it back enough, I think it's one of the most violent things or mantras or ideas is like the whole like good vibes only. And, you know, yeah, all, right. all there is is unicity. All there is is, you know, sometimes it's like, well, that could perhaps just be putting some other deep seated issues, just passing them under the rug, passing them under, under the rug. So, right, right, right. Until you cannot hide them anymore. <laughs> yeah. So having those little micro explosions where all of a sudden like, I'm really pissed off at my neighbor. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. like, oh, we're separating. It's like, well, maybe this is okay. You know, like this is all right. Yeah. It's like showing who we are. Um, I wanted to get into some mechanical aspects yeah. of, you know, running and such as well. Is, what's like preparation for you look like, like physical preparation look like to run a big race? Well, of course, it requires a great deal of um, time, energy, commitment, and dedication. You can only work on your endurance with a great deal of patience. It requires a great deal of time over weeks, months, season, years to achieve a certain level of fitness that can allow you to endure or face the type of challenges, long distance challenges. Yeah. On an average, you know, I tend to run pretty much all year round. Uh, there's only like maybe a, a month or two out of the year that it's, you know, it drops substantially, you know, maybe take a whole week or two off and kind of take it easy so that both the body and the mind, more than mind, I would say, need to kind of reset and get a little easy moment where you're not too stressed about not too much focus on you know daily grind you need to get up and you need to go whether it's hailing storming raining snowing whatever is going on uh, whether you're tired you know it's constant work of you know of bettering yourself and that of course you know it's part of the lifestyle that I chose. So I enjoy getting out there. You know, when I think about training, I don't think about, oh, I need to get out there. I have to get out there and run for two, three, four, five hours. But it's more like now I get to go out there. I get to enjoy what I do and experience myself and train out there in nature. So it's, it's very much like accepting the process as, you know, if it becomes part of your lifestyle, it's no longer a drag. Yeah. But of course, you know, there are days that, you know, when you put it in 100, 120, 140 miles a week that, you know, (laughs) you need to kind of convince yourself to get out of the door and knock out that 15, 20 miler on a Tuesday morning. Are you you thinking about any specific like physical preparedness? You know, you're looking at like outside of metabolically speaking, but like ankle function, knees, hips, spine, yeah. shoulders, like is or you know, is there anything like that that you're looking at or is it kind of your I used to when I first started, yeah. uh just thinking of my my biomechanics, yeah. thinking about my uh running economy, all of these things. Nowadays I be honest with you, I don't. It's just become after so many years it almost becomes like I don't know, it becomes natural. Yeah. You know, it's like 
you don't need to think about how you walk when you walk, <laughs> you know, you, you just walk. And then of course you can perfect a movement, but once your biomechanics are aligned, then it's just a process of developing your, your cardiovascular, your VO2, your aerobic base, all these little things and kind of more than, you know, you can adapt the, the body as much as you want, but I think it also, the training also needs to tap into the mind. So it's about preparing the mind to the task ahead. So, you know, even when, the, when you don't feel like getting out there and you don't feel like training, you have a long run and those are the most important days. Those are the days that teach you to still run on broken legs that still allow you to tap into the higher energy to make it through a three, four, five hours training run. So it really becomes a, a mental adaptation mm -hmm. to the effort and the time that you're going to be spending. On so is the, is the training of the mind just getting in the habit of going out and doing things that, you know, even when you're getting every signal, it's not even when it, you like, don't want to do it. <laughs> so what does training the mind look like? Training the mind l means, in my opinion, fighting that mental restraints. Because again, it's the mind that tells you you're tired. It's the mind that tells you you don't feel like going out. It's the mind that tells you, oh, you can stay here in bed today and just snooze the, the alarm and turn the other, the other way, right? But I think it's the the bigger motivation or whatever inspires you to do, to, to go out there and do what you need to do, that eventually will get you off, you know, off the couch, out of the bed and putting yourself, it's really about accepting the uncomfortable. Again, it's, we're circling back to what we were saying earlier about the, the, the growth happening in uncomfortable moments, in difficult moments. And so training the mind is about training to control the need to not do what you need to do, yeah. <laughs> if it makes sense. Yeah. So nutritionally, you went from kind of eating, it seems like more like bodybuilder type stuff to it seems like right. kind of like starving yourself with modeling. I'm probably not yep. starving yourself, but maybe something along those lines to plant-based, to vegetarian, to vegan, to eating lots of plants while also integrating eggs and then fish yep. and then meat yep. and organ meat. Is that where, yeah, you where, you're, where you're at now? <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely been a, an, a, a pretty amazing process, I got to tell you, because again, you know, I started out like most people eating pretty much everything. And then slowly, slowly throughout the years, I started taking, you know, almost like a process of trial and error, bringing in things, taking things out, trying and seeing what worked best for me. And I slowly lined up towards a pretty much fully plant-based diet. In the past few years, I've been drifting towards, yeah, vegetarian, fully vegetarian, then fully vegan for almost two years. And, you know, despite the fact that I still very much plant-based and I did, and I went into veganism for ethical reasons, more than the health reasons, I had to kind of take a step back. I reintroduced eggs, I reintroduced honey and eventual sushi, salmon, whatever it is. So I'm pretty much there right now. And the only reason why I brought back eggs and some salmon every now and then is because not much about proteins, but there's a certain type of fats sure. that you just cannot get in plants. Yeah. You know, you can get really good fat from oil. You can get, you can get it from seeds, from nuts, from avocados, stuff like that. But it's the quality of that fat that is different from... Yeah. You know, I, I go to salmon because it's the fattest, juiciest fish that you can find. And that really works wonders when you talk about long distance. Mm. Long distance bodies metabolically do not burn glycogen, they burn fats. And so the better the fats, the more fat adapted you are, the more comfortable you are into tapping long, into long distance efforts. Do you run on ketosis or not? You're not like ketosis guy. It is not, I, I do not follow ketosis or keto diets or paleo diets for the fact that um, I, it's what I, the, the trend that I follow, let's call it, it's, it's really not a trend. It's more like a, and Tim Noakes is one of the forefront experts in this, you know, he kind of turned back all his knowledge and concepts that he put out there in the world, like two, three, four decades ago. And nowadays, you know, in the last five, 10 years, he kind of turned back around and he started talking about OFM, optimized fat metabolism. So it's really not about cutting carbs completely off like in keto diets. 
but it's using carbs strategically. Complex carbs, so no sugars, no simple carbs, the complex good carbs used strategically when needed. So you're still gonna be, you're gonna be operating at a fat level. So your metabolism is gonna burn fat still. So you adapted to burning fat, your metabolical effort goes a long way burning fat, but you're still gonna have some carbs because eventually your muscles do need glycogen, still need carbs to process and to move. So it's almost like using ga- you know, gasoline on the muscles, but then your, your motor is operating on a fat level. So you have much longer lasting and stable release of energy throughout. Yeah. And then pre-race, are you, when, what's the timing of your food? If you're running, say, what's like, what's standard, like ultra, ultra distance for you? What's like typical? Those are two questions I know, but what just, what's typical? It's just a short, you know, whatever. But then like, what's, what's the, the lead up for Food yeah, well, I usually I, I I tend to race in 100 miles or, or longer. So we're looking at efforts that go from 15 to 60 hours yeah. <laughs> and anywhere in between. The amazing thing, once you are fat adapted, is that you don't need as much food. Right. Nowadays, I only eat twice a day. So I have like a cup of tea or sometimes coffee or matcha in the morning just to have a little warm something and then I get out of the door and I usually can run anywhere in between 10, 15, 20 miles with no food, no water, nothing. Come back home, have a nice meal, lunch, and then a very heavy dinner. And they're usually very much plant-based with good sources of fats and a little protein. I'm really not stressing much about protein intake. You know, the amazing part is really like kind of getting free uh, of that eating pattern that we're used to. You know, we, we've, been, we've been raised in a way that we need to get up and eat right away, otherwise we're starving. And then mid-morning we need to have a snack, otherwise we cannot make it to lunch. And then we need to have a snack in the afternoon, otherwise we cannot make it to dinner. And then thankfully we'll go to sleep, otherwise we'll keep eating all night. And there's a constant uh, necessity to kind of top off the tank, right? Sure. And Here's because our, the nutritional direction that our society took in the last 20, 30, 40 years have been introducing more and more sugary stuff, simple carbs, stuff that are, you know, just massively loaded with sugars, cornstarch, prepared stuff, prepackaged stuff. It's all crap that really, it just gives you a top off of energy, but then it leaves you with debilitating crashes afterwards because it's almost like throwing paper on fire it's like running it's like running on the ego yeah exactly (laughs) it's a big flame but it doesn't last long exactly so it's it kind of really makes sense to me that once you tap into this ofm optimized fat metabolism you no longer have these big flames but it's almost like putting a big log of fire that burns for hours and hours and hours on end so you, whether you eat or not, you're still going to have enough sources on your body to get you going. Yeah. And this is, this is absolutely fascinating, in my opinion, because it kind of brings us back to our true physiology in the way that we, were, that we actually evolved as human beings. Yeah. Well, I so greatly appreciate the way that um, you, your mind operates. And <laughs> well, it's been a, it's been a pleasure to chat it out with you. <laughs> what, so I have not had the opportunity to read your book yet, and I'm really excited to read it. I'm so grateful to get more into your mind. So I appreciate you well, giving I, us a resource to do that. I really appreciate that. You know, the book is is very much for everyone that needs to. They kind of feel trapped. I would say in, in where they are. That perhaps feel confined by their circumstances that perhaps have bigger dreams but don't feel the courage or they feel they're in a position to be able to go for it. Yeah. And, you know, of course the stories are through running, but running is just a means to share deeper knowledge and deeper understanding of what our place in this world is ultimately. You know, whether you're a businessman or a, or a runner or a cyclist or whatever, I think this book, would the message that I wanted to get out there is the fact that I 
we can all transcend our perceived limitation, that it's not just for the for the allure of it, that we need to, you know, to pursue something because we need to be successful, but there's a necessity to pursue something greater than ourselves to be able to actualize ourselves, to grow as, to, as, as a person and morph into a constantly better version of ourselves. And the just getting on in this journey will allow you to discover your strength and your abilities to pursue those dreams and, and ultimately live a life worth living. So, you know, I hope that everyone reading this book will get a kick out of it and will get out there and pursue their own vision. Doesn't matter how absurd or difficult it may seem at the beginning. It's been a, a wonderful conversation and I thank you for the time. Yeah, of course, man. To share some stories. Yeah, man. Thank you. I, I felt like I was like around a campfire hearing old <laughs> legendary stories. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. Over now. Bye. Hope you guys devoured that conversation. Per mention in the intro, we just launched the, or we're launching the Align Method revised expanded version. It is on Amazon now for pre-sale. And if you order it, you'll be getting it just after New Year's time. So it is a great way to start the new year by getting a better understanding of your body. It's one of those things that's going to be with you for a long time. And at some point, health will be the most valuable thing in your life. So why not start paying attention to that today? That's what we break down in the Line Method book. And it is up for sale on Amazon now. So jump over there if you are so inclined grab the Align Method on pre-sale. It is the paperback version. Okay, I think that's it. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to share this guy, we appreciate you can tag me at Align Podcast. You can tag Michele Graglia at Michele Graglia on Instagram. And thanks for utilizing this information. I hope it actually infuses into your life in a meaningful way. And that's it. Merry freaking Christmas and happy new year. And thanks for following the journey. Peace out.